Garrett. Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s and are now 80 years old. Our guest is Patricia A. Turner. She is Professor of African American Studies and of World Arts and Cultures at the University of California, Los Angeles. Her research focuses on racial dynamics as they surface in folklore and popular culture. Her new book is titled Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore and Race in the 21st Century. I'm joined by 10 of my Harvard classmates. I'm in Bill, I'm Bill Collins in Aiken, South Carolina presently, been here a little over 30 years. 20 years in the Navy, then worked for Westinghouse for a while, and then worked at the West <coughs> at the Savannah River site, taking care of radioactive waste. Did some consulting in hazardous waste, and I've been retired for a while. My wife is here with me, 52 years we've been married, and we have three children who are all elsewhere in the country. Nick Bancroft, outside of Boston, Medfield, Massachusetts, uh, <clears throat> classmate of most of these guys. Um, Peace Corps for a couple of years in India. Uh, Harvard Business School, and then back to Boston and uh, trusts and wills and investments most of the time. Uh, that's about it. Oh, uh, I guess first heard of Obama from uh, my next to youngest daughter, who happened to be in Boston Garden when uh, Obama uh, <clears throat> made his speech for John Kerry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She came back and said, uh, you know, this is really interesting guy. He's extremely persuasive. He's very smart. Watch him. <laughs> yeah, right. That was true. Good. Hamp. Hampton Howell, Nashville, Tennessee, Harvard 63, former jock, swimming, swimming 30 laps every morning. Wow. Uh, Pete DeLisavoy. I'm, I'm an editor and writer. I've been in the book trades one way or another, mostly. And uh, I, I taught uh, taught something, sort of an offshoot of rhetoric, what we called word usage at, uh, I had a br another brush with Harvard in the 90s. I taught at the Harvard, Harvard's extension school all through the 90s, hmm. taught word hmm. usage. And uh, I live up in, the northern tip of New Hampshire. They New Hampshire is divided into five zones, and this one up here is above the mountains. Uh, they call it the Great North Woods. <clears throat> uh, New Hampshire and Maine are the two most forested states in of the fifty states, mm. and they're also the two most conservative states of uh, in New England, pretty much, purple states. Uh, I remember hearing o o Obama came to Littleton south of here a little bit uh, during the primaries. And uh, it, was, it was interesting. It, it wasn't clear how he was going to do. But I remember uh, a woman fainted during the and 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 uh, I learned. Uh, we were told then that somebody had fainted in every one of his 
gatherings uh, hmm. during that stretch of the primaries. Um, anyway, uh, uh, New Hampshire is a fairly moderate state. Uh, it, it, it has its primaries right at the la latest time. We just had, they just had the primaries here two days ago. And, and uh, our Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan was considered uh, to be somewhat vulnerable, but uh, the Republicans, they're, they're, this is a moderate state, but there are plenty of crazy people here like everywhere else, but the Republicans have managed to nominate the most extreme wacko possible. So uh, it's, it's looking good for us. Uh, Again here. So looking forward to today very much. Okay. Uh, David Othmer, Philadelphia, also a class of 63. I grew up in South America and spent most of my career with public broadcasting, public television, and public radio in New York City and in Philadelphia. Okay. Jeff. Hi. Uh, Jeff Fox, no living in uh, Unlike David, I didn't grow up in Latin America, but that's where I did most of my work as an adult, as a sociologist, and also teaching sociology, and now I'm writing fiction. Okay, <laughs> Doug. Doug. Uh, hi, I'm Doug Shapiro, uh, living with my wife and two dogs in Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in Houston, uh, but when I went to Harvard, uh, I left Houston uh, never to return. Uh, I've had uh, three different careers, one in clinical medicine, one in uh, uh, pharmaceutical drug development uh, research, and one in uh, animal behavioral ecology. Okay, Spencer. I am Spencer Jardine, and I'm uh, uh, a class member of the class 61. Uh, I'm uh, of a diverse uh, uh, two separate but uh, concurrent uh, passions. Uh, one is uh, history. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, your, Pat, uh, Patricia, Dr. Turner, Professor, your, your talks. Uh, I very much was involved very heavily in the Obama uh, uh, early elections. Uh, in fact, I used a walker postpone my hip replacement, uh, walking up and down the stairs. Uh, getting uh, Obama, uh, we're, I'm down, it was down in Florida, and uh, everyone said, look, the, the thing's already sold up. Uh, the day after he was on the steps of the state capitol in Illinois, where I'm from, and uh, my family's been involved in that politics for generations, <laughs> and so I saw that, I saw his speech, I heard his speech, I said, he's going to do a Lincoln campaign. You know, his whole, yeah, you know, uh, right away. I, I knew what his campaign was just listening to it. Uh, and uh, and down here they were saying, oh, well, you know, it's either Edwards or, or Hillary. It's all sewed up. And so we just started going around and I got a chance to meet him because uh, we were some of the people who really were out here and got his first people on board. So looking forward to it. Okay, Marcy. Um. I'm Marcy Benstock in New York City. Uh, I had a nonprofit that has worked for decades for fairer, fairer, wiser public spending 
um, policies and uh, spending priorities and preserving rivers as rivers instead of sites for real estate development. <laughs> and Professor Turner, welcome. Thank you for being with us and tell us about yourself and tell us about your book. Sure. Well, I was delighted to get your email, Kent, and found the the story of how you all reunited really, really interesting. And in fact, it was the day before I had a six hour plane flight. So I downloaded the book to read on the plane. So I, I feel like I, I know your, your stories. Um, let's start with the name. Just call me Pat. Everyone calls me Pat. That's, uh, uh, that works just fine. I'm originally from the eastern end of Long Island, um, uh, what's popularly called the Hamptons. Um, but my family, my father and mother were a part of the African-American migration there in the 1930s um, to work in the agricultural realm of Bridgehampton. Um, within a, a couple of decades after that, they moved, um, partially moved over to Sag Harbor, which has a, a reputation for attracting uh, African-Americans in the 50s and 60s who could own a second home. It's a beach community akin to um, the bluffs at Martha's Vineyard. Uh, uh, and so um, I actually bridge a very um, um, agrarian uh, uh, blue collar population and a, a more elite population. And that'll actually be the subject of my next book. And that's another reason I found your book fascinating, Kent, because it's partial memoir. And I think that that's, that, that'll be new territory to me uh, 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 and so forth. But we're here to talk, I guess, about uh, trash talk. So anyway, uh, it's, it's probably not an unfamiliar trajectory to, to, to you folks, um, some of you folks. I was singled out as, you know, one of the smart I was I, I went through colored Negro. Um, by the time I, I graduated from high school, I think it was Afro-American. And I received a Regent scholarship in New York, which enabled me to do my undergrad at Oneonta, which is not far from where Kent is. I had terrific faculty there who said you should keep going. And one of them really encouraged me to pursue a program at Berkeley where, as I said before, it came with guaranteed graduate student funding. Neither of my parents had graduated from high school. Uh, I uh, uh, went to Berkeley. I found folklore and the study of everyday life and the discourse we take for granted. So I launched into that. I spent the first five years of my teaching at UMass Boston. So I had, I recognized a lot of names in the book. Martin Kilson was a figure that the African-American faculty in the greater Boston area in the 1980s, the, the Harvard folks couldn't really afford to be elitist if they wanted anybody to come to their parties. They had to invite the UMass Boston people and the Tufts <laughs> people and the, you know, because there were so, there were so few of us uh, around. So Martin Kilson was a, a figure, uh, 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 to be sure at the time, Bob Moses uh, uh, was, was someone whose paths I, I crossed. So I was there for five years. Then I went to uh, University of California, spent 22 years at UC Davis, 
and then was recruited to UCLA where I've been since the end of 2012. And I, uh, um, for a lot of that time, ended up being an administrator. But one of you referred to the speech where uh, Obama nominated Kerry. And for many people, that was their first introduction to Barack Obama, either seeing it that night on television or the replays that were ubiquitous in the following days. And when I saw it and, and we're following all the coverage it got in the next in the next few weeks and hearing the buzz, um, like you said, from your daughter, hearing the buzz, you know, this guy could be the one. I started a few files because I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately, I was proven correct. So I tracked the rumors, legends and conspiracy theories about Barack and Michelle Obama pretty much from that speech until the inauguration of Joe Biden. I had to stop somewhere. And uh, that, that was as good as anything. So the book um, is divided up into chapters that focus thematically on some of the lore that he had to confront. And really, I actually had to leave a fair amount out uh, because there was so much. So I start out with what it's not exactly chronological, it's chronological sort of through the themes. So I start out talking about the, 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 what, what people at the time dismissed as the silly stuff. He won't wear a flag pit. He won't salute the flag. He won't say the pledge of, he, he won't sing the national anthem. Uh, the, the whole first chapter are the attacks on him as patriotism. Uh, or not having uh, enough patriotism to be president of the United States. He confronted those kinds of texts in his campaigns. As he's in the presidency, there's a continuing theme with these anti-patriotic ones. So there's a, a conspiracy theory that he won't uh, uh, um, sign the, um, he, 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 he doesn't want his signature affixed to the certificates that Eagle Scouts get when they become an Eagle Scout. Traditionally, the president signs, and, and somebody in here is an Eagle Scout, I think I remember from the book, uh, uh, and uh, uh, that he refused to do that. But then much more pernicious as the years go by, so that by the time we get into his second administration, there are beliefs that he won't that he wants U.S. soldiers to go to Africa, contract Ebola, come back to the United States, disperse to their home communities, oh, spread the Ebola virus, um, kill off Americans, and that way he can replace Americans who he hates with a Muslim population. <laughs> and this, this got an enormous amount of play and attention on the websites that cater to these far these these far right folks. So then, uh, you know, I I so I talk about the first chapter is about patriotism. The second chapter is about all of the kinds of things that erupted around his religion, um, that the Muslim belief I just referred to, that the 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 challenges he had with Reverend Wright and the Trinity Church uh, is is in there. 
than what most people say when I say I've written a book like this. They say, oh, you mean that stuff about him not being born in the United States, the birther stuff. Uh, the, the next chapter tackles the birther material and which was not the first, but we can, I'm hoping you got after, after I go through this, you, you folks will just ask me questions. Um, Michelle created, generated uh, her own, uh, I devote a chapter to Michelle called Michelle Matters. I could have done a book just on the lore about Michelle. It, it is um, absolutely pernicious. And it's the same and it's different than, than what Barack faces. Um, and, and again, we could talk about that later. Um, after that, the I mentioned the Ebola um, beliefs, which I think politically are the most um, least understood in a way because they came right before the 2014 midterm elections. And if in polling after the elections, and remember that's when Congress went completely to the Republicans again, that's when we have the situation that doesn't allow, he, Mitch McConnell has the power not to bring his Supreme Court nominee forward. The polls after the 2014 election indicate that a lot of people voted because they were afraid of Ebola and mm -hmm. what Obama was doing with um, Ebola. And the surface level of that was just the money being spent um, and then the sending Americans there. But again, if you drill down to the comments sections underneath those news stories or look at the blogs and the news sites of the far right, it was much more than the money that he was spending. It was this notion that he was engaged in a genocidal enterprise uh that uh that that was circulating and that drove people to the polls and that that um i think was a big factor in 2014 election which as i say if you, if you ask me what's least understood um that that's certainly up there so then um the la the, the next chapter is the um obama material obama lore in the age of trump uh because of course you know, he has the association with the birthers and he had that incredible way of manipulating material and manipulating other people to put material out there as part of their advocacy for him. Uh, so, so I go over a lot of the material that really surfaced about the Obamas after they left the White House. Things like the, that the cleaning crew found uh, hash pipe and um, drug paraphernalia in the master bedroom of the in the quarters of the you know the, the domestic quarters of the White House that the Obamas had left their drug paraphernalia behind the whole deep state notion and QAnon the whole thing that that Obama was manipulating um, the the government from afar is in that chapter. And then I had to write an epilogue because I had originally thought that the election in 2019 would, you know, for, 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 for 2020 would be the end point. I had not imagined um, the amount of contention that would happen with Trump, the way in which Obama would be dinged in that. 
Uh, and so we have, um, you, you may have heard if you've been, if you followed the January 6th hearings, one of the ones that they talked about um, there was uh, sometimes called Italy Gate. And what they didn't mention in the January 6th hearings, again, if you look at what the far right says about that, they say that in uh, before he left office, Barack Obama conspired with the prime minister of Italy for an Italian satellite to manipulate Dominion voting machines in 2020 and <laughs> convert, um, isn't that funny, Marcy? <laughs> convert, convert votes from Trump to Biden because he knew before he left office, this hash smoking <laughs> knew that it would come down to Trump and Biden four years later and that the voting machines would have to be manipulated. So that's sort of where I take the book to, to full stop. Well, do you deal, deal with the origins of any of these, this, this lore, this stuff, I mean, this material? Yeah, some of it, some of it is easier to track, and this is much easier to track, certainly in the in with with internet material. And I've been doing rumors, legends, and conspiracy theories since the late 1980s. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I knew in 2004, oh, this guy's going to be a magnet for this stuff, and started my files. Um, um, and so some of them you can you can get kind of specific with. You can sort of find the first time someone um, posted something that said, "Oh, I heard he was born in Kenya," or you know, "Isn't he really a Muslim?" But one of the arguments that I make, and a lot of people in my field make, is that the um, some of the mo more traditional of these materials. There's no one genesis. It's not like everyone who came to believe he was a Muslim can be tracked back to that first posting. A lot of people heard the name Barack Hussein Obama, heard his story, and uh, on the you know what was then really on the heels of 9/11, constructed him as an other, a religious other, and 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 a Muslim. You know, often a lot of uh, undergirding a lot of my material is a lot of geographic illiteracy. Um, people who don't understand where Kenya or Indonesia are, what ethnic groups populate them and so forth. So, um, so some of the material that ends up being taken quite seriously in some quarters about the Obamas um, has its roots in <clears throat> what was intended by the author to be satire. So there was, um, oh. yes, yes, Jeff, oh. yes. So um, the, 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 an example from the patriotism chapter is um, this belief that got an, or an awful lot of play that people were emailing to each other this article that said that if he became president, Barack Obama was going to change the national anthem to I'd like to teach the world to sing. And you folks are all old enough to remember that. I talked to my students, they're like, what's that? But it was a Coke commercial. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony mm. uh, that was popular in the 1970s. So, so a, a writer intending satire for a magazine that 
published satire, wrote this article intending to indict the accusations that he wouldn't wear a flag pin, that he wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance, that he wouldn't sing the national anthem. So they constructed this interview with him in full satire saying he, he wants to change the national anthem to I'd like to teach the world to sing. And people started circulating that to each other saying, see, this is why we can't elect this this guy he wants to change the national anthem so so it's one of several instances in which in and so we can track that one to that original uh to, to to that point to answer your question kent um but but others are are, are more nebulous yeah uh, well yeah yeah the three sixes and uh uh the, the, the yeah the manifestations there yeah yeah um um, but Satan being manipulated by George Soros in some of the... <laughs> I was wondering if, um, if really this is our fate uh, in the United States to live in such an independent, rebellious, isolationist, xenophobic, regionalized, bigoted country, or are we like just everywhere else in the world? I think, I think you'll find other places are very similar. I mean, talk, well, I, we have an expert. I don't know if he's on. He's in our group now on India and, and you know the myths that they have and, and the rejection of, of the views of outsiders. I, I, I think you. I think it's a general worldwide phenomenon. What do you think, Pat? Patricia, Pat? I think it, I think Jeff is right. I think that that I've certainly seen and 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 I meet once a year with colleagues who study this. Material, inter, you know, internationally, there's an, actually an international group of us, and so I hear annually reports from, you know, England and Spain and other places about about material similar to my to my yeah. own. So I do I do think it is a, a, a phenomenon now that we have to grapple with. I think it's 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 been around forever. Yeah, I mean, you look. You look back at the uh, the myths about the Jews during the Middle Ages, for example. Right. Right. Or the myths about the Irish by the English. Uh-huh. And all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's been around forever. People make up stuff about the other in order to demonize them. I don't know what we do about that, but it's not new, I think. I have what I, I guess is maybe a, a kind of bizarre question. But of all the rumors and slanders that were uh, launched against Obama over the years, uh, did any of them ever turn out to be true or to have even you know, <laughs> a small amount of truth to them? I think that's no, that's that's a, a, a really good question. And um, really, there 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 is some time what we would call a kernel of truth. And that's what the right will latch onto and then run with. So in the days of his campaign, yes, he did show up to some campaign events without a flag pin on his lapel. <laughs> so did everyone else in the early days of the 2008 primaries and so forth, with the exception of Rudy Giuliani. Whenever Rudy Giuliani showed up, because we all know how patri 
patriotic Rudy Giuliani is, um, he, he always had a flag pin on, but John McCain, none of the others were, had perfect pin attendance. <laughs> so, so you could, you could say there's a kernel of truth that he didn't always wear a flag pin. He hit a point at which he was never seen without a flag pin. And if you go back, one of the things I do in one of the chapters is sort of break down his first inauguration, because I think that he and his advisors were, one of, one of the strategies that they took to confront this was to, to negate it without saying it. So if you look back at, the, at his first inauguration, he has a flag pin on his overcoat because it was a really cold day. Mm. I was there. I'm sure several of you were there as well. Um, it was really, really cold. So he had an overcoat on. He had a flag pin on the overcoat. And then when you see the pictures of him with the lunch inside, he had a flag pin on his suit. And then if you see him at the inaugural balls, he had a flag pin on his tuxedo. <laughs> um, so... Um, um, he, he made a very big deal of um, asking, I, again, forgive me, who was it who said he was going to run a Lincoln campaign? The, um, Spencer. Uh, yeah, that, you're so right about that because he made a very big deal of asking the National Archives if he could borrow the Bible that Lincoln took the oath of office on so that he could be sworn in on the same Bible that Lincoln used. Mm -hmm. And the archives granted that wish for him. And he, Michelle held the same Bible that Lincoln used when he was sworn in. And I think that was all about make, trying to minimize the number of people who would say he was sworn in on the Quran because he had <laughs> yeah. confronted that, um, he'd confronted that back in Illinois and, uh, and so I think by having all this pomp and circumstance around having Lincoln's Bible, uh, he, he, was trying, he was trying to confront the rumors and the things that were out there with, without directly, without directly uh, addressing them. Yeah. David. That, that, I'm curious about stickiness, and, and that, that is, you, you partially answered it right, right then. But what, uh, do you have any theories on what, what sticks and what doesn't stick, and, and what sticks to some people but not to other people? Is, are there any, any, anything there? <laughs> so one of the things, one of the things that, um, I, I do think Barack Obama, one of the reasons that I knew he was going to attract material, um, it wasn't just that he was black, that, 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 that wasn't it. I think that had Colin Powell or um, um, other prominent African-Americans who might've been connected with the presidency had been candidates, it would have been a bit different. Uh, what Barack Obama, um, the, the, the characteristics that he had that made him a little bit more, more um, you know, susceptible to this material. And part, part of it, it's, it's silly stuff, but it's the name, right? Yeah. Uh, he is the first um, Barack many people knew, the first Obama many people knew, um, that middle name Hussein. So we find with um, 
with with urban legends and with 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 rumors that that things that people don't quite get why something's named what it is will attract uh, um, lore. Um, we've talked about the he, he's not a politician that you began to hear about a little bit. Um, and, you know, there was a, a, a little bit of attention and you see him more prominently and sort of come up through the ranks. If you take think about Cory Booker, somebody like that, that you, you begin to hear about, you sort of trace their careers. Barack Obama came on the scene very suddenly and there was a time when none of us knew who he was. And then several months later that comments about him were ubiquitous. And anything that suddenly erupts on the scene like that, we're, we tend to be very suspicious of. The, the, mm -hmm. the imagination uh, wonders how we manage to live without something for so long and then it is seemingly everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's an, 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 another, another factor with him. The, um, he's one of those individuals that uh, there aren't very many people that were, were in, the, in his heyday kind of middle of the road about him. You know, who would say, well, I like this, that, and the other thing that he does, but I'm not sure I agree with him on this. People either were extraordinarily infatuated with him or they hated his guts. You know, it was completely polarized thinking about him. And that's another characteristic of things that attract this material. Mm -hmm. And then the, the naysayers, if you, if you spend as much time as I do in the comments following the stories, the people are responding as much to those who are infatuated with him as they are to him himself. Like very quickly, if you've re read those comments, you know, they become, they become shouting matches between the two individuals. And it, it, it turns from being about Obama to being about you. Like what's wrong with you that you think this, like how can you accept this? And they very quickly get personal but between the two individuals because the population that was mobilized against him looked at looked at the crowds of people with the Obama signs, looked at people like Spencer who were out there campaigning and you know going door to door and trying to 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 build support and said, what what is wrong with you? Um, and and so um, that's another characteristic that really can attract this material. What was the process sort of in writing the book? I mean how did you uh, tell a little about that? So I started my files. And then um, I did this sort of typical college professor thing. Um, I, I go to uh, annual professional society meetings where we give papers on what we're working on at the time. And while I was a university administrator, that was how I kept my, um, kept my toes in the waters of, of my research. So I could make myself do the research that would undergird a 20 minute conference presentation, uh, you know, maybe a couple of times a year. And those drafts became eventually the sort of first drafts of the chapters uh, of the book. And then I would spend time in the, in the summers. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't, uh, 
see Trump coming uh, or succeeding the way he did. I should also say, though, that I, I with Obama's first election, um, I was as surprised as anyone else. Um, you'll all remember what was called the Bradley effect, uh, the notion that if um, polled, many people would say that they would vote for a Black candidate, but in the privacy of the voting booth, couldn't quite fill in the slot. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went into that election, uh, the, his first election, having spent so much time with the materials as they existed then, the patriotism, the Muslim beliefs, the birther ones don't really take off till after he's elected. Um, and, I, and I thought that the, um, the naysayers would prevail. So, um, so don't, ever, don't ever follow me with, I also didn't think Amazon would um, be a successful company and I couldn't figure out why people would watch YouTube. So never if you do the opposite of what my instincts are. <laughs> Bill. Yeah, I just like to wonder if, you know, Obama strikes me as a very intelligent man. He's an excellent speaker. His speeches tend to be university lectures, however, in my opinion. Yeah. And how much of that, his obvious intelligence and his kind of excellent speaking, but kind of pitched above the average person, I would say. How much of that do you think influenced the situation? I think a great deal. Um, I think he was in in the minds of 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 the the community that was hostile to him. Uh, Obama was out of place. Like they like to keep blacks in their place, and that place is not Harvard. <laughs> that oh, place yeah, is not the White House. Um, and 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 his um, obvious erudition was. A part it was a it was a part of the package of elitism that got slammed against him and it, it and it's it also slammed against white male politicians as well. There's a real anti-intellectual thrust to this. Doug, did you have uh, oh Hamp? Yeah, um, just uh, before I start, one quick thing. What did you say? Where did you say you were going with your next book, Pat? Oh. Um, the next book will be um, the African-American communities on the eastern end of Long Island. Mm. All right. All right. Don't forget the Shinnecocks. <laughs> oh, I, I, they won't let me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, um, I mean, I, I, I remind, I, throughout the book, I remind people that he was elected, right? He was elected twice. So if every if 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 every um, if every white voter was was racist, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been elected in the first place. So he obviously uh, attracted the population. The other thing that people <clears throat> be reminded of is that he was raised by a white mother and yes. grandparents, uh, and one of the uh, in Hawaii, right? So he he. Um, he went to you know the best you know the best high school in 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 Hawaii that he could go to, so it shouldn't be surprising that his um, his speech and his yeah. mannerisms were familiar to people because you know one of again one of the things that I I, I liked about reading the 
um, Last Negroes in, from Harvard and, and why I'll recommend it is I'm always looking for examples of stories of the Black experience that defy the stereotypes. You know, we're put into so many boxes. If you're fair-skinned, you're like this. And if you're Black, you're from an urban background. You know, my, my next book is going to talk about my father who migrated from the South. As soon as I say Black migration, people picture a city. They, they picture Chicago mm -hmm. or Gary or Oakland, right. or New York. They don't picture people migrating to farm, you know, going, going, um, going someplace to farm. There's so many boxes that we end up getting put into. People don't picture a dairy farmer, you know, African-American dairy farmers. They don't, they don't see diplomats and publishers mm. and all, all of the things that, that, that your, your, your class has representations of. Mm -hmm. and, and Obama and uh, Obama for a large segment of the population enough to put him in office. You know, if you were a lawyer and there were black lawyers in your firm and partners and everything, it was like, hey, he's a lawyer. He's like this guy, you know, and and, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 there was something familiar, but there was something very, very um, to, to, to enough people to put. Donald Trump in office, um, there was something very, very, very off-putting, and 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 Obama uh, and and stories about Obama could drive them to heinous statements and and heinous actions. If you if you take January sixth as uh, uh, an example of that, mm -hmm. uh, Jeff. Yeah, I was hoping that uh, to hear from you what you found about the campaign against Michelle. Uh, you, you said that you, you had a yeah. whole lot of material on her uh, right. and her response. Right. So Michelle is interesting because she does comply more with what people would consider the conventional African-American story, right? Parents who um, were a part of the Great Migration uh, in Chicago, you know, one of those uh, uh, centers of African-American urban life. She was from a two-parent household with one sibling, parents who really cared about the education of their children and made, made that a, 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 a priority. Uh, the, the, the first kinds of texts about her, when people just heard that basic biography that she went to Princeton and she went to Harvard Law, was, oh, well, of course she got in on affirmative action. Uh, you know, it, there was no um, no notion that if you were from a two family household and education had been prioritized, like maybe you could get a high SAT score and have a high, high average and, and get into a good university. I mean, that's like I said, I got a Regents scholarship. You know, it's an objective test that 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 you take in in, in New York. Uh, if if you have the formula that dictates that you can move forward, you can you can do these things. So affirmative action, um, people manipulated her thesis, her senior thesis. Everyone at Princeton submits a, a senior thesis. She did one on Black Princeton graduates and what had happened to them. And first, um, Princeton wouldn't release it. So the, the rumor was that it contained incendiary anti-white uh, vitriol and they were 
keeping it under wraps because if it were released, people would realize what she was really like. When the Obamas asked Princeton, no, please just release it, you know, let's get it out there. People cut and pasted it from it and then mm -hmm. circulated it, this chopped up version so that they could make her appear to be a radical, uh, you know, in the vein of, of, uh, of, of what people perceive Angela Davis uh, uh, to be like. Uh, so she gets this, she gets the angry black woman um, accusation mm -hmm. against her. People wanted her to be more grateful for her, her uh, for, for what people perceived to have been given to her, not earned by her. When she gets into the White House, there was a really common rumor that she had dramatically increased the size of the staff in the first lady's office because she needed to be waited on. And all of this was at the taxpayer's expense. So mm -hmm. the motifs of the welfare queen get associated with her, which is another mm -hmm. fairly pernicious anti-Black woman stereotype. Uh, truth, truth told, she had the exact same number of staff that Laura Bush had uh, in the White House. But in, these, in, in this cycle, she had increased the staff and expected them to cater to her every whim there was a belief that she went to the, um, that the US Postal Service wanted to put her image on a postage stamp and that the image that she sent over had her with a crown on her head as though she was a monarch. Uh, so that's, that reinforces the whole queen thing. Um, the, the most, the, the, for, for some of the people who've read my book already, I, I talked to somebody this weekend who told me that for her, the hardest chapter to get through was the chapter on Michelle and the end of it, because on the really sort of dark places on the internet, there was the circulation of beliefs that she was born Michael Robinson and had had a sex change operation during her <laughs> college years after she had played football uh, in, <laughs> in, in college and that um, and that she was transsexual and that uh, Barack was gay. The Barack is gay beliefs are called the bathhouse Barry beliefs. This notion that when he lived in Chicago as a bachelor, he habituated bathhouses and was a regular and they all called him bathhouse Barry there. So if you read comment sections after stories, you'll a lot of references to Barry and Michael, and these people are evoking that. Mm. So the, um, the, the <laughs> Michelle born Michael was, like I said, it was really in the ugly places until uh, Joan Rivers was interviewed after performing a same-sex wedding ceremony. And she was asked if she thought there could ever be a gay president. And she responded, well, we've already got one. Barack is gay and Michelle is, is a tranny. Everybody oh. knows it, nobody says it. And then um, that got a little bit of publicity. So then we, I begin to see this on more mainstream in much more mainstream places because Joan Rivers had said it. And then you will remember that Joan Rivers died um, um, in circumstances where she shouldn't have, right? It was a fairly uh, elective surgery and so forth, botched surgery. And so that really erupted a whole series of, of conspiracy theories that the Obamas had had Joan Rivers killed uh, in order to um, punish her for outing their 
sexual relationship. Uh, how did they explain the daughters? Oh, they're adopted. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer. Yes, um, I did like to put a, a comment in about your, your, your comments on your forthcoming book. Uh, the strands are fascinating. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting uh, read because when you started with the, uh, the variety of the great migration and the assumptions, the normal assumptions, and your family going to one farming to another farming, I mean, that's already a grabber from the very beginning. And uh, the the population that you're 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 dealing with the environment fascinating because you know it goes all the way from the Morgan Encove on the south end of the, your territory up to the northerns with the Narragansetts and a few Wamps from from Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard Island to Wampanoag yeah and uh, uh, that whole group and uh, the uh, the complex interracial natures of it. Uh, I think you're, you're, it's, it's going to be really fascinating. I, I hope you will come back and talk about do you that. Have a do you have a title yet? I don't. I don't. <laughs> do you see any pushback <clears throat> by any religious organizations to trash talk? It seems to me that many of the MAGA people <clears throat> are uh, <clears throat> uh, have a tendency toward Christianity, perhaps toward evangelism, perhaps for other things. Is there any pushback from the pulpit for this? Not yet. The book came out on September 6th, so we're still huh. in the early days. Okay. Um, you know, we're in the early days of, of, uh, of, uh, of promotion, so hmm. that hasn't happened yet. Hmm. Did you ask uh, uh, the Obamas to uh, read your uh, book when it was in draft form, just for their comments? I did not, but as soon as I got my author's copies, I um, I found you know I found an address online that seemed like legitimate for people. You know, there's an office that handles correspondence for the former president, and I sent them each their own copies. Uh, I sent each of them their own copies there. Um, I would, of course, love to have them comment on it. I would love to have, um, I'm really interested in, Barack has a follow-up to A Promised Land, you know, his where he's going to go into his next administration. And I'd, I'm really interested to, I, I would hope that maybe some of the things that I have in there, it would be great for him to comment on in, in the context of, of, of that book. I think I can imagine it being a hard read for them, right? Like who wants to read a book with six chapters that detail all the ways in which people hated you? Um, <laughs> it, it's um, uh, the, the, the reason that they should, you, you know, they have to have thick skins to have gone this far with it, right? Um, some of them, you know, one of my hopes would be that the next time this, that there are comparable candidates for the presidency, people might take a look at my book and go, oh, okay, this is gonna happen. 
So we need to develop some strategies for confronting that, or we need, we need to know. I feel like a lot of people were really dismissive and marginalized. They knew that this material was out there, but they thought it was a little fringe minority. They didn't imagine that they could be mobilized in the ways that they were in 2016. And so I, I would hope politicians would, would go, if, if you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, you know, let's, let's take this really seriously and figure out how we deploy our resources, our advertising, you know, various strategies we, we would have in our toolkit uh, to combat it a little bit. I mean, in terms of your writing, I mean, wasn't it, wouldn't it have been much of a hard write for you just to, you know, being in such dark places? How, how did you handle that? Um, part of it was that I'd been doing it for a while and I'd made a decision a long time ago. Uh, when I was doing my dissertation in the early 1980s, I was working on slave narratives and I was, uh, I did some of the primary source research at the Schoenberg in New York and the Moreland Spingarn collection in Howard. And I remember reading about um, some materials from after the Civil War and the end of Reconstruction. And one of the descriptions that I read was, you, you know, the term lynching doesn't always mean that somebody was hung, right? It's just vigilante justice. So an example of a lynching was a woman who um, was actually a white woman who was reputed to have slept with a black man and not been raped, you know, voluntarily, you know, out of affection or sex drive or whatever. And the punishment for her by the white supremacist was to drag her with a horse um, and then splay her in a field, rip her clothes off and pour hot tar into her vagina. And I remember reading that and I got up and I walked out of the library and I walked around the block and I said, you're this is when you decide you're either going to do this or you're not going to do this, but this oh. is a decision point. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and I said, you know, this, this informs the argument that I'm trying to make with my dissertation. People need to know this and, and, you know, so I, I pretty much decided that day that I could stick it out. And I'm blessed with a great family. I have terrific friends. Uh, you know, I, I have, um, I'm, I've become a birder in recent, you know, I have plenty of things that are in my life that when I need to walk away, I walk to something that's pleasant and affirming and, mm -hmm. and positive. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I think that has made a difference for me. Has your book uh, elicited any angry retorts uh, from anyone? Not yet. As I say, it's early days. It's interesting. I did. Uh, I was interviewed by Salon last week, and I noticed on their website that lots and lots of people seem to have emailed the interview and posted it on Facebook. Um, and it, it seems to have circulated a great deal. No one has reached out to me and I just, I've also decided unless I'm confronted with it, I'm not going to go looking like I'm not going to go looking at those uh, Reddit posts or, or, or anything like that. Uh, I did an interview on um, a morning, uh, a morning show last week 
after which somebody said, I heard one person emailed me and said that she had heard me on the radio and she was going to buy the book and thank me for writing it. Um, and I'm pretty easy to find, you know, I mean, I'm a professor at UCLA, you go to the UCLA directory, you can find my email. I'm, 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 I'm not closeted in any way. And that's clearly what she had done. No one on the other side has done that, right? I haven't gotten anything negative, like how dare you or anything like that. I suspect that might be in the, some of the Reddit post. Uh, Reddit can be pretty, uh, pretty toxic uh, territory. Um, but I, 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 if they're not, if they're not going to, you know, confront me with it, I'm not going to go digging for it. Good. Good. Applaud your courage and your persistence. Well, thank you so much for coming on then. It's really been uh, fascinating. Okay. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation and, 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 and getting to spend this time with you. Okay, great. Thank you then. Take care and good luck with the book. Thank you. Okay, Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That was author Patricia A. Turner. Her new book is titled Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore and Race in the 21st Century. And that's it for this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or from wherever you get your podcast. Plus, you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard. <laughs>